Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of December 2021, and we are in the midst of Kyle's cold Christmas. Uh, sans Kyle this time around, as he is uh, once again embroiled in some real life shit which happens from time to time. Uh, so uh, in his stead, I have my my brother, uh, my brother, Matt, uh, to join me in reviewing a cold film uh, this time around. Uh, Matt is, of course, an avid podcaster himself. He's been on the show numerous times, and I'm always very, very happy to have him. Uh, so being as he's our esteemed guest today, uh, Matt, would you care to let the folks at home know uh, what film it is that you've selected for us to review today? Uh, force majeure. I believe is how you say it, or act of God, more or less. Yeah, I believe that, that's, that's what it translates to. That's the translation that I gleaned from it. I, I did have to Google that one. It, it is a turn of phrase I hear from time to time. I know it has some uh, legal applications, um, but yeah, basically force of nature, uh, something along those lines. And uh, apparently the original title, uh, being as this is a Swedish film, uh, was a tourist. Uh, I kind of prefer force majeure if i'm being totally honest <laughs> yeah i i can see both to be perfectly honest like i feel like this is a great movie where perspective matters so much of all the characters so in that i can see maybe maybe tourist is an interesting concept because so much of it as we'll get into the discussion is kind of the roles these characters are playing despite what's really going on um but yeah, let's let's dive into it. I mean, you wanted a cold movie. This is the first thing that came to mind that wasn't cliffhanger because that <laughs> seemed like the easiest default choice. But like, do you really want to have a conversation with me about Sylvester Stallone again? Because I feel like you already have about 20 of those in the, in the can to begin with. So, I mean, I want to save those for a rainy day. Uh, being as like that's a guaranteed like two and a half hour plus episode <laughs> um, and and he has a pretty extensive filmography I, I can talk Stallone any day all day long uh, and it's all the more fun if I can rope you into that but uh, funny enough Cliffhanger was actually in the queue uh, before uh, Kyle had to dip out this week um, we we're debating whether we would do like a a back-to-back Renny Harlan uh, we'd have cliffhanger followed by Die Hard 2 and it's like wow that's just like an assault of mediocrity <laughs> like like back to back I mean they're both cold movies and they're both pretty fun but like let's be honest here Die Hard 2 is not a whole lot more than adequate in terms of like 90s action cinema and cliffhanger only really gets bonus points for being kind of hokey um, and for having some unique kills which uh, Renny Harland is that's that's kind of his go-to when it, he does have a horror background so at least you get that but yeah i don't think either film is truly remarkable but if you had went with cliffhanger it would have been fine by me but this one is is definitely a, a very welcome change of pace i will say that much well and that's the other side of it is just that concept of the cold weather movies and all like it, it's hard to find something that kind of breaks from the classic just man versus nature, which is so many of them kind of revolve around there. Like there's very amazing ones like, you know, the Revenant or uh, even Arctic with Mads Mikkelsen is, is a pretty excellent movie. The gray, um, 
but it all kind of follows that same line. It, it's like bearing the elements and dealing with nature and, and, you know, trying to survive and it, it's, that's fine and dandy, but you know, it, it's fascinating how in this movie where you can take that kind of like intimidating environment and, and work with it a bit. Like it what actually creates a, a fantastic like boundary for the environment these characters occupy and that it's incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly foreign and, and terrifying out there. But within the confines of this little ski camp where this whole movie takes place, it's essentially portrayed as heaven on earth. So it, it's really neat. And it, there are some moments, quite frankly, towards the end, they're downright terrifying that have to do with nature and the environment. So uh, I, I think it works. And I'm happy we got a chance to, to watch this one. I'm looking forward to discussing it with you. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it certainly fits into the uh, very vague cold theme we have going this month, uh, being as the entire film takes place mostly on on the ski slopes on a mountain resort. Um, but I think what's really what's really awesome about about the construction of the film and, and the setting in particular is that it, it really pushes to the fore this idea of this majestic white sheet of beauty uh, that's that's made of, of stone, rock and, and ice that is so completely fragile at the same time. Um, so it it. It, it exists in two, it's like kind of a, in a liminal space there where it's, it's, it's this very fragile existence that it, there's, it's rife with metaphors in, in regards to the characters and their current predicaments and whatnot. Uh, it's a very dense film. So like folks at home, um, you may just want to like run out and check this one out if you read the plot summary and it sounds compelling to you because trust, trust us when we say it, it is very entertaining, is very, very subtly hilarious at times like it's it's never goes way out of its way to to make you roll on the floor laughing but it, it will do that to you if you're paying attention um and it's beautifully shot on top of that apparently our, our director uh, ruben ostlund uh who my previous experience with this director once again comes in the form of a uh, of an invitation from my brother uh to watch uh, a film called the square um, which was a later film in his filmography. And I was very impressed with that. So when Matt had brought this one up, I was, I was thrilled at a chance to take a, another look at this guy's work. And he's officially on my, my good list. Uh, so I'm going to be keeping an eye out for whatever he's got in the pipe coming, coming around the corner. But um, yeah, uh, this is from 2014, directed by Ruben Ostlund. And it's a force majeure. And uh, I'm just going to give a, a rough plot summary here at, I'm really bad at this. Uh, Kyle normally is our designated uh, plot summarist, uh, so I'll I'll do my best here. So we have a, uh, I believe they're Swedish. It's a Swedish family. We have a husband, a wife, and two kids, uh, and we are on vacation in the French Alps, I believe. Uh, it's just a, a French mountain resort, basically, and it's a ski trip. So we're we're on vacation for a week, and uh, the. The plot catalyst, as it were, is comes in the form of a avalanche that our, our husband, our patriarch, our, our supposed patriarch, um, believes to be uh, a potentially dangerous event. He sees it coming and he flees instead of instead of coming to his family's aid, instead of cradling his wife and his children, he just George Costanza's his way out of the room and, and saves himself. And then that that is, I think, on the second day of like a six day trip. Um, so merry mishaps ensue. Uh, basically, it's it's a catalyst for things to come uh, in in the 
relationship uh, amongst this family here. But uh, yeah, let, let's just go like front to back with this one, because like, thankfully, the scenes um, are are not very long. Um, funny enough, apparently that's a quirk of this director's uh, filmography is a uh, Ruben Osland, uh, apparently when he was in film school, did a, a lot of ski photography, like he did a lot of cinematography on on the slopes. Um, and apparently this this style of long cuts comes from his experience of having to shoot that way. Like like that's how you shoot sports footage is you just keep rolling. You just follow the person doing the cool thing. And if you have to cut, it means you fucked up or they fell down or something. <laughs> so so the scenes in this movie are pretty, pretty long and it has a, a breezy pace to it. And it, it fits so beautifully with with the culture and, and the, just the general vibe of the movie. It has a very relaxed flow to it that has some really fun interruptions from time to time. <laughs> but Matt, like, did what what did you get out of our very first scene in the movie? Because our, our first introduction to our characters just comes in the form of this static shot of the family on the mountains and there's this voice coming from off screen speaking to them in english and basically like demanding that they take a photo not just a photo a whole fucking heap of photos <laughs> and he's just ordering them around and posing them and it's all shot in one take it's just this flat angle and it's so fucking awkward but what what was your takeaway from this introductory scene well, obviously, when you first like start watching the movie, like it doesn't mean much to you because you describe it perfectly. It's a gentleman who makes his money taking photographer post photographs when you arrive, and he's basically just peppering them in English, like saying like pose this way, do that way, and, it, and English is not his his primary language, so it's it's kind of like him just kind of like doing his best to try to be really enthusiastic and really like, but at the same time, really forceful, like to these folks who also English isn't their primary language and they're just kind of trying to abide, but also there's a part of them that kind of gives the impression they just want to check into their hotel and move on with their day. But it's brilliant after you finish the movie to think back on it in hindsight, because it really does encapsulate everything that's going on with this family where they're showing up to, again, like the ski resort that looks like the most beautiful place on earth everything seems in line they're a beautiful family and yet they can't even pose for a picture together without being incredibly uncomfortable and very distant and anything like involving like any intimacy is like kind of brushed aside just because it's like almost creeping each them out like in hindsight like i said it's it's a really powerful opening but initially when you first see it you're just kind of like this is dragging on and i don't get what the hell is going on <laughs> No, I, I get what you mean, but I, I, I love that you point out in, in hindsight, because uh, that's, I want to say, a, a one sign of a, of a very skillfully constructed film is that so many scenes take on much greater meaning uh, after having completed the film, uh, because I, I, I've now seen this film. So subsequent viewings of it, I will approach from a different perspective and probably a, a more entertaining one, honestly, uh, because there's, there's a lot of subtle characterization here that um, I we had talked before we started recording that uh, this movie does have an American remake. Um, it, I think it came out in 2020 and it's a uh, headline by Julia Louis-Dreyfus and uh, Will Ferrell. And uh, I don't think either of us have seen that. Um, but everything about it on paper, and by the way, the reviews for it are, are god-awful, but everything about it just it doesn't sit well with me because the 
the tone, the pace, just the general vibe of it, and even culturally speaking, I don't know that this material would translate well to to an American style of film production. It just it's I, I would imagine it to be too loud and too audacious. But what what's your take on that? Oh, I agree completely. I mean, if I were to compare this movie to an American counterpart, it would be Jarhead. Like that to me is the tone of this movie where Jarhead, you can either view it and find it incredibly disturbing, or if you kind of have that darker sense of humor, it's actually really fucking funny. Like some of the situations that occur. And that's very much this movie to me as well. Like it deals with some very deep and powerful emotional things But if you break away from that and just kind of take in the totality of it, it's damn hilarious at times. So that to me is more the tone of this movie. But of course, when you cast it for, you know, the generalized American audience, you're going to throw two comedians into the main roles and you got to make what the funny. And I just don't think that was really the true intention of this feature. Yeah, actually, I, I said this before we started recording that I I wasn't I probably wasn't going to be checking out the American version, but right now I don't know, man. I got that itch. I just I just watched like Tyler Perry and Alex Cross like just earlier today. I subjected myself to that dreck. <laughs> um, I I do have some masochistic viewing tendencies when it comes to my my media diet, so. It wouldn't be out of left field for me to, to run out and watch Downhill from 2020, but uh, mostly because I'm curious about how they handle the the subtleties and some of the, the additional layers to the characters in this film that, that are there, um, but because of the subtlety in the presentation, it's there, but if you, if you blink, you might miss it. But it won't it won't hurt the experience, but it will it will make it more rich. Like it will make for a, a richer experience if you're observant, if you do pay attention to these subtle details, which which begs the question at this point, Matt, do you want to just like blow open like all the mysteries right now? Or do you want to uh, do you want to start talking about them as they come? Uh, because this this opening sequence, like you said, having completed the film has so many additional layers to it that do not become known to you until like almost the very end of the film you know it's a great question i think we'll just kind of see where it lays because uh, again this is a movie a a sign of a good movie to me is one that i think about enough that i do have to replay it in my head and and reconsider a lot of things and there's a lot of moments especially early on in this movie that take on a lot more significance after you finish it Um, particularly because like you said there's so much subtlety throughout that there's a lot of things where it leaves it kind of open to your own interpretation too. Like there aren't definitive answers really given to you regarding a lot of major themes. Um, So therefore it is kind of you choose. And as we discussed, kind of fill in the blanks in that way too. So uh, we'll just kind of see which direction it goes, but yeah, I know we're going to spoil the shit out of this one. Yeah. Folks at home, if you've listened to the show at all, you know that we, we talk spoilers here on catching up on cinema. So maybe bail now, if you're really interested in getting this movie fresh uh, upon your first viewing, but uh, in that case, let's, let's just plow on ahead and uh, meet out the details as they come. So yes, our, our introductory scene to this family is them posing ever so awkwardly for this series of photos. As Matt had pointed out, their body language suggests uh, they're not especially cohesive as a family unit, at least in this moment. Like they're, 
the the dude is pretty tall by the way so like like he can't find how how far he's supposed to lean over and at one point he's just like just kind of like hanging over his wife and it it's it's a bad look at one point they clunk helmets together because they're wearing their ski gear and yeah it's very clumsy and they just do not look very comfortable together um but this was where like upon my first viewing of the film before i knew everything that i know now like the idea that like the seed that i was planting on my own independent of the film um was that i was thinking like does this have something to do with like uh putting on airs or or roles like like the idea of posing for a photo that's that's capturing a moment that doesn't doesn't necessarily reflect reality it just reflects a moment in time a, a choreographed moment in time and sure enough like i was pleased to see that these photos actually are revisited and when you see how the photos turned out despite what we saw there most of them are actually pretty good it's like ah, I, I think there is some. I I think I was not a, not a hundred percent on the money with that, but like the director, like we were kind of we were on the same wavelength to some extent. But we head into the resort, and right off the bat, we get some just like very casual exposition thrown out there from from our cast. So um, we have our husband is uh, played by. Oh my God, I have no idea how to pronounce Swedish names, even though I grew up around Swedes. Uh, you know, we have Ballard here in the, the Seattle area. It's got, got a handful of Scandinavian people, at least it used to. Uh, we have Johannes Bakunke as Tomas, the husband, and uh, Lisa Loven Kongsley as Eba, his wife. And uh, the other notable that I'll point out, I'm not going to, I'm not saying all these names, not doing it. Uh, the only other notable that I'll point out, and uh, I haven't seen him personally, but uh, he's kind of a big deal internationally at the moment because he was in Game of Thrones. Uh, Christopher Hivju as Mats, uh, who is, I think, Tomas's brother um, or close buddy. I, I don't know if he's biological buddy or biological brother, but anyway, he's his close buddy. Um, and he'll show up a little bit later. And uh, he, of course, has his Game of Thrones beard and my, my god he has magnificent hair like, like, like it's it's it makes me very jealous i'm not gonna be not gonna lie about that but um eba when they're checking in at the front desk uh just have like she just meets a, like a gal like someone roughly of the same age and they just kind of chat with each other a little bit and uh they exchange like reasons as to why we're on vacation right now and and uh eba points out that they are on vacation because tomas the husband works too damn much and we're trying to find some time for him to be part of the family. We're trying to we're trying to have some us time as a family unit. And then conversely, uh, the lady, she's just like, oh, yeah, I have two kids. They're not here. It's like, I also have a husband. He's not here either. And, and Emma's reaction to that's just kind of like, oh, that's nice. It, it's it's very cute. But what what makes what makes that ex exchange interesting is, again, details that will be revealed a little bit later in terms of uh, Eba's uh, characterization. Like she like a lot of this movie is framed in such a way, very skillfully, mind you, as being a Tomas movie, as being a Tomas problem in particular. But but this whole family's got issues. It's not just the husband, not just the wife. It's the whole fucking family. They all have their hang ups. 
Uh, one thing too, with that conversation, I might be completely wrong on this, but if I recall, I think that this woman who, and I believe that's her name in the casting, uh, she's never really given a formal name, uh, but I believe she speaks French and that Eva, when they, they speak to one another, they speak French. And I don't think Tomas actually speaks French because there's scenes oh. later when they're speaking English, when, when they're all out to dinner. And I think that's because that's a language all three can actually understand. But I think that that kind of sets up an interesting thing, given the dynamic between these two characters, uh, Eva and this, this woman, of uh, the fact that she could really say whatever she wants to this woman right in front of her husband. And, you know, he would have no idea, um, which really given the, like I said, what ends up coming of those two and their conversations, like it leaves a lot open that uh, doesn't fully get explored, but I think that's intentional. Like it, it's just a, a possibility, like a little sprinkling of something that could be. Yeah, I, I think you're onto something there uh, because language does play a role in, in some of the plot progression at certain points. Um, my my dumb American ears can only pick up so many subtleties between so many different tongues. Like French is a pretty obvious giveaway. Like that one's easy to pick out. But Swedish and Norwegian, I know Norwegian sounds like burps and Swedish sounds like Swedish chef. Like I Norwegian sounds like burps to me. I've seen Troll Hunter. Like like and and I I did have a friend growing up who spoke Swedish quite readily in the house like all the time. So I I know that one, but when you switch like between like two different rooms in the hotel and we go from Swedish to Norwegian, I'm not always going to pick up on that jump. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are numerous instances here where people are seeking privacy or solace. And part of that comes in the form of their use of language where there's a, a heated dinner exchange where we switch into Swedish and no one else at the table happens to speak that language because this is, we're trying to have an alone time in a very public setting. Um, so yeah, that, that's definitely a theme that's present in the film, but uh, we check in and Ebba does obtain the photographs. And like I said, the finished product um, after all that chaos and mayhem uh, does actually result in a handful of pretty nice family photos. Uh, so when, when asked to pose, like when, when, <laughs> like, like when, ha when organized by an external force of some sort, this family can come together and look like an ordinary happy family. But as we saw them, there's, there's a little something off here. Um, and further evidence by our next scene where they're on a, I've been skiing like three times in my life. All I did was fall down. I was told to make a pizza. No pizza was made. All I did was face plant, take off the skis and you know, like probably try to tackle you. If I could find you, I don't think I ever found you when we were out skiing. Honestly, I was so bored. Like I was just like, can I just play in the snow? Like, like it's right there. Why do I have to wear these stupid shoes? But there's a tunnel that they ride. That's basically like, like one of those moving walkways they have at like certain airports and stuff, except for you're on skis. Because you can't be expected to walk like on, on solid ground like that. And uh, it's this painful shot. Uh, it's just a, like the camera's locked down and, and this walkway, my God, the slowest fucking walkway in the history of mankind. It moves like a couple of millimeters every few seconds or so. And they're just inching towards us. The whole family is, is lined up. And this is where I'll, I'll uh, introduce a theme here that 
uh, I, again, I was I was rewarded by by noticing it and having it pay off to some extent. Uh, the, these characters uh, march in formation. Dad is usually out in the front, and Mom is usually bringing up the rear. Um, this is a this is an image that we see play out numerous times throughout the film. However, very strategically at certain points in the narrative, that dynamic shifts. Um, and the the cinematography and the editing really plays into playing up that theme. And it's very rewarding if you key in on it early. But yeah, Ebba's bringing up the rear, but dad's just like hanging out with her little with his little boy. And he's like, he's being like, yeah, I'm so proud of you. You're a big boy. And the kid's just like, <laughs> the kid's like throwing a shit fit, like throwing his gloves on the floor and stuff. It's like, what brought that on? And like, we did have an earlier sequence, just kind of like a non sequitur in the form of the kid peeing in the most luxurious waterfall urinal I think I've ever seen. It reminded me of like Beavis and Butthead do America when they're just entranced by the automatic flush urinals and stuff. I was like, yeah, I'd hang out in that toilet for, for a very long time. That's a, that's majestic. Um, but yeah, the kid is throwing a hissy fit and we, the viewer are just kind of like, is this, is your kid broke? Like, does he just suck or something? <laughs> Cause like, we didn't really have a catalyst for, for why he's pissed off right now. But again, information that will be imparted to us much, much later in the film. Yeah, no, it, it comes like, there's a brief moment where they're all skiing in unison and it's like the most majestic thing. Like, like they're just in perfect sequence. Like they're coming within inches of one another, like on this mountain, just so gracefully. And then, yeah, it cuts to, to this tunnel that you were just talking about and this kid having a total meltdown. <laughs> and I, I have to tell you again, another thing that in hindsight, like I, my opinion of the children has changed immensely because in watching it at first, like half hour, I'm just like, these are the worst kids I've ever seen put to cinema ever. Like everything about their behavior is totally unacceptable. And I have no idea why they're just like tolerate it so willingly. But then as, as the movie progresses, it kind of opens up a bit more. It's like, oh, now I get it. Yeah, it, it's actually really funny because like I, I found myself doing what I think a lot of a lot of people probably do. Maybe maybe especially Americans or something do. I found myself being judgmental of the parents. Um, again, all of this is, is explained, like all of this is given a solid reason as to why these kids suck so bad. <laughs> like these kids really do suck. But it, what was funny to me was that while I was watching these scenes with the kids, like throughout the entire movie, I was thinking of you the whole time, <laughs> just because I've seen you around kids mis misbehaving and your, your general vibe is just like, Matt's just like, they need boundaries <laughs> if you can't enforce those boundaries that you have failed and yes these these kids seem like they maybe need a stern talking to or something somebody needs to lay down the law because really these like when you first watch the movie and you see some of the shit these kids do it's just like that ain't right <laughs> it's like i'm i am not a hard man but i'm sorry that that ain't right <laughs> that boy ain't right girls even worse to be honest <laughs> but um you're absolutely right though that the scene of them skiing like in formation uh again uh, our director has a background in ski photography so the ski scenes in this movie look amazing like it, it looks sexy it looks like it almost makes me want to do it not really but <laughs> but at least it looks pretty <laughs> that's totally how i felt too i was watching them like 
yeah, why haven't I gone skiing? I was like, oh yeah, because I hated it and I was terrible at it. It made my ankles hurt. I hate everything about the cold. I don't want to go skiing. But just in watching those sequences, I was like, oh yeah, I want to go skiing. That looks amazing. Yeah, no, you you do get swept up on it, and like, and and yeah, I have no desire to actually go skiing, but I will say this much: like, whenever skiing is present in this film, they make it look good. Um, but we get this really lovely image of the family, like all in their long underwear, just like all four of them, just like laying in a big old hotel bed together, and they're just splayed out like a like a family of bears or something. It's a it's a very warm image in a very cold film, <laughs> but. Um, we get some like subtle tension in the form. It's just like Ebba gets up and immediately she's just like, you aren't dicking around on your phone, are you <laughs> from the other room? And we see Tomas, her husband, like very obviously just futzing around on his phone. And mind you, at this point, like up when you're first viewing the film, all you know is that he's here because he's working too much. Like he's too swept up in things not having to do with the family. So you, you can't help but project that onto like, what's going on here so he's dicking around on his phone and ebba's just like hey got the shit um but we have this uh we have this pattern that plays out throughout the film uh, around this point where um i was trying to i was trying maybe you can help me out with this because I, I was trying to like develop a solid theme behind what i was seeing play out here but basically at the nighttime uh we have um we have a classical piece of music that uh, I actually did look it up. I'll have to look it up in just a second, but um, it's a recurring motif in the film that this, this classical arrangement plays and we get this montage of the family getting ready for bed. Um, and then we see the mountain uh, also essentially getting ready for bed. Uh, so we, we cut back and forth between, it's like, it's like literally maintenance almost, like nightly maintenance to prepare for the morning. So in this first instance of it, the family is a unit. All four of them are standing at the sink together. They're all brushing their teeth together. Um, and progressively, elements are removed and, and uh, elements of decorum, not, not just figures, not just people are removed from these scenes, but like elements of decorum are removed in the form of just like basic niceties that people do for each other when they care about each other. It's like you dress a certain way. You take you groom yourself a certain way, because not, not because it's, it's asking too much. It's just a thing you do when you appreciate each other and they get like more slovenly as time goes on. But like the mountain, we, we cut back and forth between them, like getting ready to bed down for the night. And then like um, they have these, I, I don't know if they're like explosives or just like sound, like sound, like blasters basically that, that trigger controlled avalanches on the mountain to, to control the, the movement of the snow um, and then we have all these vehicles zipping around. It's a whole big circus and stuff. But like, am I missing something? Did you get anything more out of that? No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, like, I think that like the contrast of like, particularly the uh, toothbrushes, the electric toothbrushes that the family use are like the loudest damn things. <laughs> like they're, they're like literally weed whackers, it seems. But it really kind of illustrates kind of what we were going back to the main theme of just like it is still dealing with that like man versus nature in many parts of of the theme of this movie and that is kind of one of those things where it's like how man in the attempt to conquer nature like has to like 
utilize all these like obscure, crazy things in order to manipulate things in order to get to be exactly the way you want it to appear. So like if it's the sequence of four people using these loud ass electric toothbrushes to make sure that they look cheery in the morning, contrast with these cannons essentially like shooting off in the middle of the night and then all these trucks going through to make it look like it's this majestic, you know, virgin snowfall in the morning for all these, you know, tourists. So it, it totally is just kind of like this impression that you're giving off, but what goes on behind the scenes to actually achieve that. And that's why we have you on the show, Matt, because you're able to find the words that I cannot find <laughs> because, yeah, you, you filled in all the blanks I was reaching for there. Um, yes, I, I think that really does play into that theme of kind of like putting on airs. Um, we have a bunch of humans kind of square peg round holing themselves um, through the use of tools and technology and whatnot. And like man will like projecting his will onto a literal mountainside in the form of use of tools and technology and whatnot. Um, but in the morning, uh, very, very quickly, uh, we get uh, the, the event, the plot catalyst, which is feet. This was something I didn't spoil because this is featured in literally every plot summary you will find for this film. This is the selling point for this film. Um, we get the sequence that um, I'm curious how this looks in the American version, because, you know, American films like like our, our film industry generally plays with more money uh, than a lot of other film industries across the globe. Um, one thing that I said about uh, some of the films we also covered this month, um, some of the other cold movies we talked about is that I one of the cute things about looking at other like other countries films is that it really spells it out to you how massive an undertaking even a modest production can be for other countries because you have all these like mom and pop producers featured in the front credits of your film like this movie has numerous slides of just like all these little production houses all these little production houses that basically just like flicked a quarter into a bucket <laughs> just like yeah sure i'll finance that it's like a whole country basically has to get together to finance a, a modest a modest family drama film essentially um but i'm curious what this looks like in the american version because in this one in 2014 a swedish production um right off the bat i was like oh that's green screen <laughs> this is like something's gonna happen it's green screen <laughs> like it's really obvious it's not ugly it's just very apparent is all um, but it is it is executed very well. Like the choreography of the sequence is very well conceived and very well. Let's they lock the camera down, so it's hard to say it's well shot, but it it's it's well executed. <laughs> um, basically, we're sitting on like a a rooftop restaurant portion of the hotel overlooking the mountains, and it's it's gorgeous. Like it looks amazing. Uh, never mind the the weird halos that are around everybody's hairline. <laughs> I, I'm I'm. I'm kidding. Like it, it, it doesn't look bad. It's, you know, I, I watch a lot of fucking movies, <laughs> but um, we hear one of those bangs that we heard last night. And uh, Tomas is just kind of like curious. Like he's, it's like a dude watching a thunderstorm. <laughs> it's like, Whoa, <laughs> he's just entranced by, by the demolition, I guess. Um, and the whole family is like, like sitting down to eat. And I did notice that uh, again, playing into like the roles that we take on in society. Um, he was served last. And, you know, as the patriarch, as the dude at the table, like that's 
that's kind of an expected thing. Like it, nobody says anything about it, nobody enforces it, but it, if it happens, nobody's surprised. It's just one of those norms that we we often slip into. It's just a small detail. Nothing happens by accident in movies, especially shots like this that are extended one takes. Um, anyway, uh, the snow comes cascading down. We have this controlled avalanche that Tomas keeps reiterating. Oh yeah, they know what they're doing. Oh yeah, the, yeah. I mean, if if you've been around, if you've been around like a braggadocious dad, you've you've heard that line before. It's like <laughs> clearly that that wasn't supposed to happen. Oh yeah, trade professionals, they know what they're doing. <laughs> but uh, we have this this avalanche come cascading down, and Tomas whips out his phone and starts recording a video of it. And the the other patrons of of this this restaurant, they are flipping out, and uh. His son, right at his side, by the way, is screaming like, Dad, Dad, Papa, Papa. <laughs> and I, I, I think I said it up top. He, George, Tomas, as the snow is getting a little too close, he, George Costanza's his way out of this restaurant. If you have not seen that episode of Seinfeld, the fire, fire, <laughs> when George knocks over a grandma and a clown and a bunch of kids <laughs> to get out of a fiery kitchen. You have not lived. <laughs> um, but yeah, Tomas shoves people out of the way, pushes his own son aside <laughs> to escape the snow cascading down the mountain. And uh, what we come to find here, though, is and remember, this is all shot in like one, three, four minute one take, basically. I, I think there's a cut here when the snow hits. But basically, the entire camera is just blasted with just whiteness. Um, but as it so happens, the the bulk of the snow stopped short of the hotel and what what the camera and what the people at the, on this rooftop restaurant have been hit with is just powder. So it's harmless. Nobody has been hurt. Everybody's nerves are super rattled. Everybody was ter- everybody was scared. Not a single person thought it was going to be not a single person up there thought it was n- not going to be a problem. But the point is, no one actually got hurt. And then Ebba, we see, is just like cradling her two kids. Like she she did the mama bear thing where she's just like, gotta save the kids. That was her first instinct. And then the scene concludes with like, we see Tomas come, like just like walk past the camera back to the table. And if you look close, there's some guys like in the left side of the frame. They're just like, look, shooting him the dirtiest fucking looks. It's like this fucking guy. <laughs> it's like, I, I think one of them was shoved by him. So he has every right to be pissed. Like, it's not that he's being judgmental about what he just did in regards to his family. It's just like, the dude, the dude hit me. <laughs> like, that, that ain't right. Um, and then they just go back to eating. That's the most awkward part is, is Tomas trying to, to talk about the food as if like nothing has happened. And I think anybody who's ever been in a knockout drag out argument in their life has experienced that where you you're trying to just avoid the further confrontation of it. It's like he knows he, he fucked up bad here, but he doesn't really want to get into it. So he's just trying to be like, oh, look, what a nice meal. And meanwhile, his two kids like thought they were about to die. His wife is just absolutely disgusted with him. He's just like going about his meal. Like to quote another Seinfeld moment, it's like the guy who breaks up with his girlfriend and has no emotional response. Like he just keeps on eating, <laughs> no, <laughs> no response. <laughs> well, it's a good thing he didn't dig deep and find some insult to sling their way. It's like, hey, you kid, you're fat. It's like, little girl, you're dumb. It's like, wife, make me a sandwich, something like that. But no, his last line here is is just like, oh, 
the sun has come out. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, this, like, I can't stress enough how many times I used the expression this fucking guy while I was watching this film. Like, not not just in regards to Tomas. There's there's one other player who will who will emerge very shortly, but uh, I had a lot of fun dropping that line while watching this movie. But um, yeah, uh, it's funny too because uh, this becomes almost like a running gag in the film, where it's like uh, he he doesn't want to talk about it. Like Tomas is pretty adamant about he just does not want to he just doesn't want to revisit this he doesn't want to talk about it and the the world seemingly provides him with all these excuses like he gets so many outs it's just like yes <laughs> he, he just must be thanking his lucky stars that just the stars aligned and he was able to just like slip out of that particular conversation um, but we'll get to that when we get to that but. Yeah, the the cinematography in the scene that follows is we're back in that that slow ass tunnel, and again the pace of that tunnel really heightens the tension. But this time it's shot from Ebba's perspective, from over her shoulder, and we just see Tomas like looking back at her. And it's just like nobody's saying anything. This is awkward. <laughs> and we even see the kids like no words are exchanged, and when they when they get back to the hotel, like. Tomas opens the door for his kids and they don't hold it for him and they leave him holding like all the poles and the skis and again all credit to the the production itself like we hold on this for so long <laughs> and also just the noise generated by a man trying to carry six pairs of skis and like <laughs> like like bump like bumbling about a hallway it's like they they really up the levels on the sound here and they really make it look like a chore so it's like what looks like just a subtle diss in the form of their of the kids like not holding the door for him turns into just a, a fiasco um but we we get back to the hotel room and uh ebba wants some alone time she wants some privacy she wants to talk to her husband without the kids and this is a thing that she demands like she needs many 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 times in this film and in many circumstances it ends up she kind of like overlooks important details and it like results in some issues like not in the moment but like when the con when the conversation is concluded it's like oh you really didn't think that through did you like that there's a little bit more to that particular operation so we actually see this happen we actually see this play out before this happens like the cleaning man is in their hotel room. We, we see him just like flipping his keys. It's just like, doo, 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 doo. he just casually pushes himself in. He just like, housekeeping. Housekeeping, <laughs> like, I come jerk you off. <laughs> oh, and he goes in there and she just like absentmindedly shoves the kids in there. Cause she's like, I gotta talk to your dad in the hallway. And the kids like, you actually hear the kids saying there's a person in here. And she's like, no, I don't care. Go in there. So she she locks her own kids in there with the with the sketchy cleaning man while she talks with her hubby. Um, but yeah, this is just like I don't know. It, this is almost like a this is almost like warfare or something where it's like this is just like a brief skirmish. Where it's just like Tomas has to walk up and be like, so <laughs> like you you seem irritated. And it's like we're we're standing outside a hallway and our kids are alone maybe this is not the time to really go into detail about this so it's just like all, all that's expressed here is that he acknowledges that he suspects his wife is not happy with him um and she 
expresses that in kind like it, it's it's a very subtle exchange but we do get some good comedy in the form of the, the maintenance guy like like they open the door and he's just like yep, i was in there <laughs> sorry i know that was really weird but matt you want you want to like run down the these kids here like this is probably the maybe one of their ugliest moments in the film yeah so immediately after they uh Tomas and Eva uh, come back into the room. The kids are just like pissed at both of them, especially Tomas. But like, they're just like on a different level. Like the little girl is just on her little, like it's some sort of tablet. She's playing a game and just totally checked out. And just anytime the kid parents try to get anywhere near them or, or ask them do anything, they just scream at them. It really is just the most obnoxious, like you're wrenching, like, screams of just like get out get out like it, again like it, first viewing like going through this scene i was just like what in the hell is going on here like because to the director's credit like the way this movie is set up and these open these kind of establishing first half hour it really gives you the impression that this avalanche is kind of this catalyst for like oh like now she has to re revisit how she feels about her husband but the more you start to watch it, it's like the more you realize like, no, 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 this this was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. These were all things that were very, very apparent. This one just like completely illustrated for like in real life, like to where like she couldn't deny it anymore. And she just doesn't have the words for it just yet. And obviously with the children, they're more occupied with them. But but I guess to as we're going to spoil the whole damn thing anyway, like the big thing about it is like you realize that like, the kids are aware of this too. Like they're not stupid. Like they've been aware of this whole entire time. And it's not just a response to them feeling this moment of like panic from almost dying earlier in the day in their mind. But it's also the feelings of clearly picking up that there's tension between the two parents and kind of taking it out on both of them in that regard, because they, the parents seem to be behaving like when Eva wants to speak to Tomas outside the room, she does it almost in this manner that suggests that like, oh, the kids will have no idea if we're just a few feet away and they'll have no clue that we're arguing here. So everything will be fine. And it's like, meanwhile, like the kids, it's like, no, we know exactly what you're doing when you, you need alone time. Like you're, you're so obvious. Like we can tell anytime this occurs, it's not a good thing. So yeah, it, it really like, it's the beginning stages of you starting to unravel that, which again, the way it's shot, you really don't pick up on it until way after the fact. Yeah, it, it's very skillfully laid out. I, I really love the the slow drip of information that we get about all these characters. And I also like that we don't get an exposition dump. Well, we do we get one, but it's delivered in a manic state. So it's, so it's forgiven because of that. It's just like word, just word salad, just like diarrhea from the mouth basically <laughs> but um but yeah the the kids as 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 we had mentioned earlier they're very irritating at this point upon your first viewing but one one theme that like really emerged like and came became like crystal clear towards the end is like it's a very common one in not just film but just like storytelling and, and just culture honestly like world, worldwide is like children see truth um, and as we've mentioned, all these characters seem to have roles that they slip into. They seem to 
have have expectations not necessarily strongly enforced by their environment but maybe expectations embedded within them like expectations of who they need to be uh to the world facing outward that these young folks don't necessarily feel the need to abide by so that the kids lack the bs that the adults do this is a very common thing just again if you hang out with enough little kids you see that that they, it's like they they don't fuck around um, and towards the end, it's like, ah, I, I think I, I think I get it now. But yeah, at this point, they're just a little shit. <laughs> but um, yeah, forgive me if I'm wrong, but doesn't it cut to is this when it cuts to the drone sequence? After yeah. That? Yeah. So this was a really interesting sequence to me because the way it's shot, like it's just a drone flying around again, the, the ski resort at nighttime. But the way it's framed, the shot, it almost looks like the surface of the moon. And you have the stars out and everything and a drone at night with its lights. It's hard to really tell what it is. So it it really just kind of looks like a UFO. And I think it's just kind of a neat little shot because not only does it signify that like they're getting along again because the kids are obviously playing with this toy that, you know, was probably very expensive. And Tomas probably had to bring it out in order to win their favor over after uh, them being clearly so upset with them. But also just like that concept of like, it, it really is almost like a foreign planet they're on because again, it, it's an unnatural environment. Like this place shouldn't exist. Like humans have conquered the mountaintop and essentially again, created heaven on earth. But it, it's, is it real? Like it, it's maintained by machines and cannons and everything. Like it, it's just, you know, again, it, it's a testament to great accomplishment and wonderful beauty but at the same time it's like it's still nature it's still you know ultimately wins out yeah there is an element of artifice clashing with with the natural world here that's that isn't reinforced by this this drone that like you said like i actually was like is that like a ufo or like a really really dangerously low aircraft <laughs> but you, you figure it out after you hear enough of the whirring and you see the way it moves and then it comes back to the hotel and it is it is a cute way to frame that moment because as we just saw, like there's a lot of tension in the family unit at this point. And I don't, I don't exactly know the science behind why this works so well, but I think it's, I think it's worth appreciating that this moment with the drone, we hear the audio of the family, like giggling and having fun together because they're, they're obviously like handing off the controller back and forth between each other. And we see Tomas like kind of fucks it up towards the end there. It doesn't break. Like they do get it back. But what's neat about it is that we don't ever actually see them. Like it, it's all just the drone and, and the audio of like a family that yes, is in a moment of tension, but still manages to find some solace and, and, and joy in their time together. And I, I think it was very purposeful, very intentional that we don't actually see them on camera during that moment. But um, what follows is a, a dinner get together uh, with our with our married couple and uh, the friend that Eba had met at the front desk, uh, the the uh, free willing lady, uh, the the lady that doesn't necessarily conform uh, to most of the norms that Eba seems to be pretty rigidly like grasping onto. Um, this woman is very very comfortable with the way she lives her life. And uh, by contrast, like in stark contrast to that, Ebba, maybe not so much. Um, but uh, this lady, uh, she kind of reminds me of like a Scandinavian Catherine Keener or something. <laughs> she, uh, she found herself a dude who I don't know if he's supposed to be American, but uh, he his English is fairly 
flat. Like he has that like Benedict Cumberbatch speaking American English flat. <laughs> no, he's he's definitely American. And I love actually this sequence. Like it, it's one of those things where it needs to be an American in this to convey the setting for, for this sequence, because um, he basically he's trying to make conversation. And again, there I mentioned it earlier, but they're all speaking English at the table because it's the common language that all four of them can speak. Because um, as you had described her Scandinavian, Catherine Keener, I, I believe she speaks French in this movie. So like the only way they can all communicate with one another with common language speaking English. Well, this American fellow, like he's trying to have casual conversation, but he can't help but use one of those stupid American phrases that doesn't translate in any other language. And he says like, oh, did you brave the elements and go out there? And it's especially that keyword. I think it's such a brilliant phrase to utilize because it's awkward enough if English is your second language, let alone your third, to try to decipher what he's trying to say in that. But also when you consider if it, this is like your third language, you're just trying to pick up on anything that jumps out. And the only word you might be catching is brave <laughs> after you've just witnessed your husband do the most cowardly thing you've ever experienced in your life. And it just sets it off where all of a sudden like Eva's just locked in and has to bring up what happened earlier in the day. And it just gets really fucking awkward because Tomas, all he really needs to do is say, I am so sorry. I caught, caught up in the moment. I didn't realize what I was doing. I was terrified and I will never, ever do it again because now I know what happens when faced with this sort of horrific disaster but he did flat out just refuses. He's just like, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's gaslighting 101. Like, it's really just like you're sitting there and she's explaining what she witnessed, which is we thought we were going to die in an avalanche. My first instinct was to cover up my children. My husband's first instinct was to freaking bust out the swim move and knock over three tourists on his way out the door. And his response is like, no. That didn't happen. And it just continues on and on and on to the point, like you had said, where they start speaking in their own native tongue because they're it's getting tense and they need to be able to communicate like and get it out quickly because they're amongst company. But it's obvious when they switch languages to the other two folk who can't understand what they're saying, that they're in the middle of an argument and it's super awkward. And they're just stuck here, like, you know, seeing these two people go back and forth. And it's like, uh what are we doing here man like especially like when you're being judged by like you know the swinger and her, her partner here it's like you're really fucking up like maybe you should just cancel the dinner at that point oh yeah no it's it's a showstopper of a scene like it, it's beautifully executed and there's there's so many subtle tricks that I'm, I'm not gonna talk about all of this stuff but there's so many little things that this movie slips in there kind of cutely and unexpectedly but it's like all these things that if they weren't there you'd have a lesser film like when uh when tomas is telling his story in english he's he's like lending a sense of like gravitas weight to his to his his predicament it's like he's like av avalanche it's like it's a weird word isn't it yeah, it's like i, I was in an oven <laughs> and, and as, as he's telling his his interpretation it's incorrect but what as he's telling his as he's spinning his yarn uh, to use one of those shitty american phrases <laughs> um, uh, the camera like 
by millimeters just like starts listing off towards Emma. <laughs> it's just like you're getting in her headspace. It's like, it's like the the movie itself is is like listing away from him because this fucking guy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like halfway into it, she cuts him off and she, yeah, they they change languages because it's it's time for real talk, and the, they do a subtle bit of comedy here where when she kind of like reaches out to the other people at the table and tries to pull them back into the conversation. She just unexpectedly in English is just like, he says you can't walk, you can't run in ski boots. Isn't that ridiculous? And it's just like, I have no fucking clue what you guys have been saying for the past two minutes, but uh, sure, I guess you can run in ski boots. Um, but Tomas is bailed out by an unexpected birthday celebration. Uh, he's just like, yes. <laughs> it's just like just when things are getting superheated and he's being confronted. And this is a pattern I started to notice is that Tomas seems to want to just sit. He wants to sit on his feelings. He doesn't want to, talk, he doesn't want to air them out. Uh, he seeks the company of like trusted cohorts in the form of Mats who will show up later. Whereas Ebba is like, she's, she's got to, she's got to like blurt it out in front of the tribe. Like you got to air out all your shit in front of the council. And so like, so like that's her MO is like when, when truth needs to be spoken, it needs an audience. Whereas I think that's part of why this this grave error in communication between the two of them is so heightened is because their 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 ideas of how like how how to properly explore this stuff differ so radically. It's like if he's going to say these things to her, it's either going to be in a moment of total absolute collapse and weakness or in the most private of circumstances. But in her case, it's like, no. It's like we gotta do it now in front of all these people that we don't really know all that well. <laughs> it's also like the first sequence where like it really is is seen. Like they this is the first time they're seen as as fucking up and vulnerable. Um, compared to like everything else, there's always this image that like everything's fine, everything's perfect. Like even the beginning of the dinner, like they're very just like so well put together. There's a beautiful couple, they're all dressed up. They order a nice bottle of wine, like they're postured in a way that conveys that they're very well to do. And just like the, these casual ski weekends, this beautiful French resort is just a, a nothing thing for them. But then like as they start to bicker, it, it just starts getting really, really ugly in public like that. And it, it's really the first sequence where it's like exposing that there's so much more going on there that like generally that's their default is just to be this like posturing couple and it's reached a point where it can no longer be contained yeah no it, i think um societal roles and gender roles are a, a huge part of of the story of this film um they're only just starting to emerge at this point in the story but like it's it's something that like once the film starts exploring that territory improper it's just like oh Oh wow! I I I'm glad we're talking about this movie because there is a lot. There's it's very very deep film it has many layers to it, and so it's so well executed. Like it never feels tedious. Like it never felt like I was struggling to keep up or anything like that. But when the, when they're walking back to their hotel room after this shit storm of a party, um, again we have a camera angle behind Ebba. Like so, we're literally the camera's like literally trained on the back of her head as if we're like inhabiting her headspace it's like the film is instructing you to be judgmental of tomas at this point um 
and it's it's really explicit but it's, it works really well because we have this confrontation again out in the hall uh, with the kids inside probably with their ear pressed to the door and like she asked for a hug and stuff and she's like i i don't know what the fuck's going on like like this is not us something is wrong and as like they're having this it's not a good hug like, like there's no warmth to be to be exhibited here like as they're embracing his phone goes <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's the perfect timing where it's just like way to fuck it up without doing anything tomas uh, story of your life for the rest of this movie <laughs> um, um but we go back to our uh, our nightly maintenance routine and as i said every time we revisit this um elements are removed so this time around uh, it's just husband and wife. Kids are nowhere to be seen. And once again, we see the mountain uh, shedding its skin. And I wasn't sure when I was going to say this, but I think it's so beautiful that from a thematic standpoint, an avalanche, snow cascading down a mountain, it, it's it's peeling back layers is is what this process of discovery with these characters is it, it it's it's beautiful like it, the imagery matches the theme so beautifully and by the way tomas has very effeminate legs like he has he has very he's he's got like smooth smooth legs and like like <laughs> there's this this wide shot of him standing out in front of his door and i was just like jesus <laughs> he's just standing in his underwear in front of the hotel room door and i'm sorry like I'm, i don't mean to offend or anything but it's just like very smooth very pale legs it's it's a it's not a great look if you ask me but then again who cares what i think about a dude's I, I know exactly the shot you're talking about because i actually just assumed it was Emma, mm -hmm. and it's not until it pans out that you realize oh that's tomas this is also the sequence too where it doesn't don't we get the return of our uh maintenance man yeah the mvp the of the film <laughs> i this character if you have ever been judged by European from afar. <laughs> this is the human personification of that. Like the look that he gives while smoking a cigarette is just, he says so much without saying a damn word of dialogue in this movie multiple times. Like he has so such a deep character despite having maybe two lines in the whole film, but just the way where he's just watching them bicker in the hallway from afar and the look of just complete judgment. It's amazing. Remarkable. Just judgment and disdain and disgust. He's, he's smoking on a balcony above them. They're, they're like wanting to get into a tiff in the middle of the night. Ebba calls up to him like, can we get some privacy, please? And the, the editing here is just brilliant because we just we keep cutting back and forth between our couple so tiny in the frame shot from this maintenance worker's perspective looking down at them and this just the shot looking up at him looking menacing and powerful smoking <laughs> in no hurry his face tells you nothing about him like you get no inkling that he is is prepared to leave like he is he's in no hurry he's like nope <sighs> gotta put in some work orders for that <laughs> it's like it's gonna be a minute uh and then we just like hard cut to black. <laughs> like, so we never actually find out if he left. He just stared into their souls while they were standing in their underwear out in the hallway. But um, the next day, I think this is day three at this point, uh, Ebba decides she wants to go hit the slopes on her own. Uh, and this was very interesting because uh, this is the first time we really get to see her alone. Uh, this is the first time we really get to see any of the family unit alone, honestly. 
Um, and there's something about it that like almost immediately feels awkward and foreign, even though we don't know her very well as a character, just something about her energy and the way she shot, she does feel isolated. She, it does feel like this is not natural to her as a person. Um, and there's that really awkward bit on the ski lift where she like bops that couple on the head with the handle. And he's like, whoa, <laughs> it's like you, you and I, I'm sure we can relate to that. It sounds like dad. <laughs> it's like, Hey buddy, you're pit. <laughs> they get bopped in the head. Cause she like moves his handle without saying anything. And then she doesn't even look at them. She doesn't apologize. It's like, Oh, that would not fly. Like, like if, if that was our dad getting off that ski lift, there would be words <laughs> that would not end well. <laughs> um, but yeah, she goes, hits the slopes. We get some more beautiful ski footage. And then we have a really, especially in 2014, I would imagine a really interesting conversation between her and her lady friend. Uh, and this is where we revisit that idea of societal roles and gender roles, because Kind of subtly, we start to realize, oh, Ebba's like, she's kind of a traditional gal. It, like, for better or for worse, like, she's she's got some somewhat old-fashioned beliefs, especially in 2021. And this gal that she's with, not so much. And there's a contrast between the two of them. So Ebba is just kind of, like, not interrogating her, but she's, like, very curious about this arrangement. She's like, so hang on, you have a husband and kids who who aren't on vacation with you and you like you fuck around behind his back it's like no not behind his back it's like he fucks around too it's like she's like what <laughs> it's like what 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 <laughs> like that's just not done most don't know what they're talking well it, this is where we're in that realm where it, it's like the grand conclusions come into play because you're right it's it's a woman with a very happy seemingly a very happy open relationship with her husband yeah and she's just embraced it it's like this is her time to go off and have casual sex if she wants. And she has her family at home to come return to. And, and that's her arrangement and it works for her. And Ebba is incredibly upset by this concept. And you're right. It's a very old fashioned outlook, but it's also, you have to take into account that it's not until much, much later in the movie that we realize that Tomas hasn't been faithful to her. Yeah. And that, it's less, I think, her actually being upset about the arrangement and more just her kind of having this rubbed in her face that this is the life that her husband's been living and she's continually kept him back, partially because she has these old fashioned sentiments, you know, and, and probably is still insisting on making the marriage work, despite obviously having major problems in it. But she gets really, really upset. And I think it's it, again, it's this moment where she's always putting off that she's this perfect perfect wife when she's out at the ski resort but this is kind of that first moment where it's like you realize like no she has a ton of pent-up frustration anxiety what have you and uh it really comes out and it's really ugly in the way that like the woman actually is the one who's kind of like let's just not talk about this anymore because you're getting way too upset we're both on vacation drinking wine like, yeah come on lady <laughs> it's like it's like i know you've got family shit i don't not in this moment. I'm here to have fun. And then it it actually contrasts with because one of the things like you're right, like you pick up on how tense it is that she's on her own and feels isolated despite essentially being free in this moment. I remember when I was going through it, like 
one thing stood out to me was concern over Tomas actually being in charge of the kids, mm. just because the comment obviously the avalanche is the biggest indicator, but even before that, like the sequence when the kids having like the tantrum on that tunnel ride, uh, it really gives the impression that he works so much. He's just not around and doesn't pick up on like so many subtle things are important to being a good father of like understanding. It's like, Oh, he hasn't eaten. This is why he's going to be extra like cranky right now. Or like, maybe we're pushing too much or maybe we're doing this. So to me, it was actually the concern of him because he, he also was upset that he has to take the kids out um you know by himself and it, you know that fear of what's going to happen to him skiing can be dangerous you know and it, it's a really fascinating shot where it's ebba you know having to go to the bathroom out in you know outdoor in the snow like no big deal but that's a traditionally very like masculine thing to just like be relieving yourself in nature or whatever but it's contrasted with her husband Tomas, like taking care of the two kids and and like kind of nurturing them down the mountain and leading them and, and actually doing a good job, but yeah. it, it's a fascinating shot in that regard. Yeah, uh, man, I'm so glad you pointed that out. Once again, you're so good about finding finding the things that I miss. Uh, that that bit about um, the kid, the boy throwing the tantrum because he hadn't eaten, and Ebba being aware of that without without Tomas picking up on that. Um, and the just the repetition of Ebba continually emphasizing that it's it's my natural instinct to always put the kids first, like the re- part of the reason why it's so hard for her, like this whole predicament is so difficult for her, is that she she can't understand why he he can't feel that way, why he doesn't feel that way. So I, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head that there is a lot of con- concern brewing in her about his competence in in taking care of the kids alone and we do see that like he does have his hands full for sure at least in one moment where uh, the boy does actually vocal he does verbalize that like i i'm I'm afraid you're going to get a divorce um and as matt had said the the big reveal that happens much later in the film that really does color every scene in the film after you've seen the whole film um and really does add that additional layer that makes it all the better is that yeah uh, tomas is he's had infidelities or is currently fucking around. Um, and so this, this is probably why we're on vacation is to, is to do exactly what we're doing. But as evidenced by Tomas's behavior, uh, regardless of the avalanche or not, like he keeps ducking it, basically, he's not willing to confront it. But um, in addition to the um, peeing on a mountainside, uh, often being thought of as a masculine thing, um, it's also like basically the most vulnerable posture a human being can assume. Um, and her having her truth bearing moment of, I want to go skiing on my own. That sounds like a great thing to do today. And then we see her shedding a tear as she's, as she sees her family away from her. It's like, this is her moment of vulnerability and honesty that it, it, it fits really well. It starts out a little awkward because it's like, she about to take a shit on that mountain. <laughs> it's like, Oh, it's a symbolism thing. <laughs> okay. I, I get it. I get things. Um, in the meantime, though, uh, Mats and uh, is it Fanny? Is his a uh, young young gal yeah, pal? Fanny. Fanny, Mats and Fanny. Uh, so Mats is the Game of Thrones fella. Uh, he shows up, and uh, they're farting around in the hallway, and they uh, they meet up with uh, Tomas and Eva. So this this is like friends of theirs, basically. And we saw them arriving via a bus. Uh, we just like cut back to them back and forth between like the mountain exploits and them on the bus. 
And then we sit down for some honestly shitty looking European pizza. Uh, not Italian European, just like vaguely, vaguely pizza-esque flatbread. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just does not look appetizing at all. It's got like sprouts and shit on it. <laughs> And also they're Swedish, so everybody's eating with utensils. It's it's, it's just an awkward visual for an American. <laughs> um, but the the way this this dinner is shot is so cool because like Ebba, her head is out of the frame the entire dinner. Like she's standing while everyone else is sitting, and she's going on and on about how how much fun it is to go skiing by yourself. And we just saw this poor woman peeing. And crying on a mountain at the same time because she was feeling isolated and lonely. Um, and then when she finally does take her seat, like her chair is positioned directly in front of the camera. So the back of her head just like engulfs the frame. And it's just such an alienating image that's just like, again, playing into this idea of putting on airs, of assuming a role, of being you know, like the, the wine drinking, happy, happy wife, happy mother. Uh, being a good hostess and whatnot. And then we even see her like cleaning up in the kitchen again, alone. And uh, eventually like this, this charade just cannot hold up and holy shit. You thought that first dinner was awkward. <laughs> uh, this is, this is like doubly. So man, like, like Matt, like, do you think this is even worse or, or on par with it, it's this one's funny though. Because, like, the first one's incredibly awkward because it's a combination of, like, these are, like, basically strangers. Like, they they just uh, basically met in the lobby when they were checking in and, the, you know, the woman and Eva and they agreed to go out to dinner on the first night. And this night, it's, like, your old friend from seemingly college or whatever that's over. And it's made a little awkward because he has his girlfriend that's half his age in tow. And... He's trying to be the ultimate bro by trying to make up every excuse in the book for why Tomas acted the way that he did. So in that way, it's like funny because we all have that like one dumbass friend that's going to go to bat for you no matter what, even when it's like, dude, you're just making it worse. Like, just shut up. Cause he really like all of his rationale is, is all just like the classic, like falling back on gender role stereotypes of like masculine behavior. And then at one point he's even trying to convince Eva that it's like, no, no, you don't understand. Like his inclination was actually to like be able to get help to come back and rescue after the avalanche hit. They're like, so it's like, it's incredibly awkward. It's incredibly tense. It reaches a point where actually they blows over. And Tomas storms out and says he's going to go spend time with the kids because he can't stand to be there. Because, And if I remember, again, this is one of those I may be completely wrong on this, but my understanding from the limited amount of research I did is that uh, Tomas is Swedish and Eva is Norwegian. And I don't know the difference between the two languages, but I know that there's enough to where I believe that that's what she speaks with Mats and Fanny uh, when they're separate. And so Tomas is in the other room with his son, who seemingly is very calm just because his dad is with him. He's just playing a video game and isn't aware of this tense conversation that's taking place in the living room. And I think that, again, that's one of those things where it's playing with the language that they're using to where because he doesn't really understand it, He's just like comfortable with his dad being present and not really picking up on like all the awful things that are being said. Wow. It, I hadn't considered the the kid not being able to understand because I did pick up on a, a language shift uh, 
during during the dealings with Mats and Fanny and stuff. But I hadn't I hadn't put that together because I I want to believe that like it's never explicitly made known. But that would make a lot of sense that like all this real talk happening between Ebba and these friends of the family uh, with with the kid in the other room, like it, it would make sense to you know, earmuffs, <laughs> like via a different language or something. That's, that's, that's something I, I hope is the case, even if it isn't. But um, by the way, uh, Tomas doesn't storm out of the room. Uh, he is once again bailed out by a force of nature uh, in the form of his son just throwing the drone into the room. <laughs> like he I just forgot like, about that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It, it's so jarring. It's it's it comes out of nowhere. Like like Mats is in in the middle of trying to defend his 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 buddy Tomas with with bro science, um, and just we get this like GoPro footage and a whirring noise, just like launching itself at Mats's groin essentially. And then we just see this giant fucking drone slam into the couch and knock over a bottle of wine. It's like Jesus. But Tomas was just waiting for that opening. He's like, I gotta go take care of that. So he just excuses himself, and we have all like all the other people talking about him. And basically, Ebba began the whole conversation by revisiting the avalanche scenario, but this time she has the floor, and it's it's almost like a Rashomon type scenario where it's like. We had Tomas's take on the scenario the first time, but this time we get hers, which is of course the accurate one. <laughs> um, and it's it's painful because we keep cutting back to Tomas and he's just frozen, like he can't. He's just staring at the floor. He's he's just got his hands in his lap and he's just frozen. And then the drone <laughs> truck tire, <laughs> you guys in the back puking his guts out, and uh, Tomas just excuses himself and hangs out with the kid for a bit. And eventually, though, he does actually come back and we kind of just like get right back into it. <laughs> it's so awkward because <laughs> like Tomas is, as Matt had said, like a half an hour earlier in the film, all he had to do was sit down with his wife and just own up to it. Just say, I did wrong. Like it was a bad, it was a, it was a terrifying thing. I did what I did. I am so sorry. That's all he has to do. And, and funny enough, like he kind of does it, but he does it in like <laughs> in the most pathetic way imaginable. It's like you had to clean out, but uh, every chance he gets, he just talks in circles. He talks about he tiptoes around it, and he's just like holding court with all these people in the room. And Ebba is just like she's just like, oh, my God, this fucking guy. <laughs> like, at one point, she's like give me your phone <laughs> and she's like you were filming the avalanche right and he's like yes honey <laughs> she's like gather around folks let's watch the video footage and and yeah the- i was just gonna say like this is a sequence that like i feel like the american one must have botched so terribly because the way they do it in this one it's they gather around you don't actually see the footage but the expression on Matt's face when he sees what just played out, especially after he's been going on and on with all this bro science of how like possibly Tomas is actually the hero here. And, and he even brings that up. He like brings up, he's like, no, we've just been conditioned by society. That... Too many damn Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Like it's this very like Joe Rogan kind of like rationale to defend his, his dear friend. But um, a stranger <laughs> came in here. I totally beat his ass for your honor. 
right now. <laughs> yeah, but the way it goes about and just like all of a sudden he sees the footage and you just see his like expression like, ooh. Like, and then that's when he makes the excuse. He's like, no, no, what he was really doing was going to find a shovel so he could dig you out after you were buried by the avalanche. It's like, come on, man, you're not going to win this argument. You have the video proof. Like your, your buddy fucked up. Yeah, you, you are you are reaching, sir. You are reaching. And then some. he's like, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, when you're on an airplane and they tell you you need to secure you as an adult, you need to secure your oxygen mask first so then you can assist others. He was fleeing the scene so he could dig you out later. It's like you would they would be dead. <laughs> this part too killed me because, like I've told you off air, and, and you know, I've been meaning to watch this movie for multiple years. And every time I would get to watching the trailer or or even considering it on a streaming service, uh, when my wife and her trying to pick out a movie to watch. My first thought every time was like, we're going to watch this and we're going to argue <laughs> because of the premise. And I love that that's Matt's and Fanny's character is that's what they embody is basically the argument that's going to play out after seeing the sequence play out of the, the whole movie of just like a husband acting in total cowardice to, you know, this devastating natural disaster. So like basically they adjourn and now fanny and matt start their bickering and it's even uglier because she's half his age and just kind of has kind of a negative outlook on him. she's happy to be on the ski trip but she also like is kind of like hinting it's like dude you're kind of a piece of shit like you act like you're this big bold man or whatever but it's like you know you're divorced and your kids are living in a different country and you don't see them all that often so like what's to say you wouldn't behave the same way if you know you were faced with that like you don't aren't doing everything in your power to be present in their lives every moment you can yeah it it's it it's delightfully comic how this plays out because we we exit the dinner party and like just it, it, it's just them standing in front of an elevator like heading back to their own hotel room and it's just like you just you just had to bring it up <laughs> it's like you just couldn't drop it <laughs> but it's it's amazing how the progression how it starts out like just like oh that was a, that was a weird party oh yeah they definitely need therapy and stuff it's like but she's not wrong and he's like what do you mean <laughs> it's just like and it just keeps rolling it's like to, to borrow the avalanche metaphor it it snowballs like it, it very much just cascades and snowballs and just just complete clusterfuck um but yeah she's like accusatory of like she's like condemning his generation of men <laughs> as being less prepared to raise families than than people younger than him and he's like she keeps bringing up uh this guy philip I think is like her brother or someone, someone her age. He was like in their early twenties. She's like, "Oh yeah, he would totally do. He would totally do right." You, I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, "Hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean little Philip?" And mind you, this is all coming from uh, Christopher Hivju, who's a very large man and and fits like the the burly archetype. So like, all of this is made even more comical by by just his appearance. Um, but yeah, they just keep going back and forth and back and forth. It just keeps escalating. And at one point, the elevator door opens and they, they don't get on. They just keep bickering. <laughs> and basically, this all came out of just like a exploring a hypothetical. Like, I mean, if you're in a relationship long enough, this happens. And, and like Matt had said, this is one of those movies. It's like, 
<laughs> it's like, yep, we're going to have to talk about this afterwards. You're going to be very careful. Especially when you're dealing with these instances where there's that hyper masculinity component too, because I've definitely had those moments where it's just like, well, I like this scenario where you would go off and kill the intruder if he barged in, but I don't think you would do it because you're a self-serving asshole. It's like, what the hell, man? Of course I would. It's like, we don't know. Of course, it it's all depends how it would play out. And like, there are some aspects to the bro science that make sense. It's like, Yes, I can tell you right now, as I get closer and closer to 40 every day that goes by, there are many, many scenarios where I'm just like, yeah, I can't fucking do that, <laughs> where I'm just like more accepting of limitations or whatever, versus when you're young, you're more like of the mindset that like, yeah, I'll charge into a burning building and save the day. That's what you do. Right. And then you get a bit older and you're like, realize like, uh, I'm a little out of shape and I don't think that'd be wise i think i'll just call the fire department <laughs> like so i don't know I, I thought it was brilliant it perfectly encapsulates like i said the hypothetical argument i assumed was going to come following watching this movie well what's really beautiful about it is that it's it's very funny it's like riotously funny at this point this this sequence the dinner party followed by the the evening chatter that comes after that is is like master class like comic stuff but what's especially fascinating about is that like yeah it, a lot of it is just like bro talk but there's just like a little bit there that's like <laughs> it's like you know on the right day maybe that would be the right way to think about things it's like it, there's just enough there that doesn't come across as totally like asinine or something it, it's it's interesting stuff and also it, it's it's funny because like masculinity is one of those things that has been covered so extensively in, in cinema over the years but in more recent years, we've seen it being explored from different angles. And I I think it's important to acknowledge those different angles because even Martin Scorsese, and I, I, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I do think it's very fascinating that, you know, the man who is kind of responsible for popularizing the 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 mafia film ended up coming full circle with that and being like, you know, I know I made that shit look really cool but maybe I should make this movie called the Irishman that kind of like shows it shows that same narrative just from a different angle. And maybe shows it's maybe not, not the greatest thing to do. It's your life. Like it might be fun for a little while, but you know, it's, it's not the best thing to invest a lot of your life into. And I don't know. It's a topic that's very fascinating. I think to both of us, because in, in 2021, it's this big question mark as to what it even really means anymore, because, because we've done things like conquered mountains and, and built drones that you can that every family can afford and futz around with it's like what what really does it mean what is a man oh i'm gonna quote castlevania and it's actually going to be appropriate <laughs> like i can't believe this a, a quote from video game history that is often regarded as like resident evil one level dumb and like badly translated is actually relevant to the discussion of this film what is a man a miserable little pile of secrets which is yeah very accurate to the characterization in this film and that's essentially what Tomas says um but yeah the sequence that follows after the oh by the way brilliant absolutely brilliant comedic timing when they finally do get in the elevator guess who shows up 
our our lovely maintenance man like as the doors are closing he's like hang on hold that and he comes in with this big awkward cart and then just hard cut to black and it's just like yes this fucking guy is awesome he doesn't say anything really he just shows up and he just has the perfect look to him um but we get we get this like pillow talk this I, I was telling Matt that it, I, I don't know if this was supposed to be the case, but I read it as being like almost like a gender gender role reversal. So we have this diminutive Fanny and this gigantic Matt's laying in bed together. And he just he's just stewing like he, he's just, he just he can't let it go. Like he's just like you, you challenged my you flicked me in the nuts with your words and I just I just can't drop it. And like she she just keeps reassuring him and be like, shut up. We'll. we'll I, you, you get in this mode you just can't let it go like it's we'll, we'll go to bed we'll talk about it in the morning maybe <laughs> like trust me i wasn't challenging your manhood like i was just talking we were just having a good time and you took it the wrong way and he's like oh, no you just don't get it <laughs> and, like, and he just will not let it go and it gets to the point that she turns out the lights on him and we the dialogue persists in the darkness such that she has to turn the light back on and then it even ends with him being like, hang on, what the fuck? <laughs> like, we, we just like hard cut away from that sequence. But it's so great that we can tell that just from that few minute long sequence, we see that like we get the sense that was an all night conversation. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. Um, but yeah. Yeah, especially because the way you're introduced to them, they just seem like I mean, they seem like brand new lovers. Like they're just like totally all over each other and seem over the moon and excited for this lovely weekend together and from that moment on it's completely different so yeah no it, it's it's like i don't think that relationship's built to last <laughs> like she basically says as much but um Mats and tomas hit the slopes together so it's it's a dude day didn't throw out <laughs> um meanwhile ebba is just like hanging out with the kids and uh so this she had her day out alone and this is i guess his um however instead of being to totally isolated uh, much like her actually she he seeks like a, a like a person of the same gender to like kind of bear his soul to or explore all the things that he probably should be talking to his wife about um but they go up to this peak and uh tomas like digs himself a little ditch he just kind of like sits down in the snow which does look really cozy by the way and mots he brought his bro science up on the mountain. He's like, it's a physical thing. You need to understand we are men and we are on a mountain in the elements. You must purge these feelings. <laughs> you must dig into the depths of your soul and purge them from your vocal cords. So he tells him to bellow out into the heavens on a mountain where you could potentially cause an <laughs> I was getting a little bit nervous when this was happening. But the scene that follows is... I love the angle it's shot from. It's the two of them sitting on the like the the beach chairs. It's my favorite scene in the movie. It's oh, actually you have the force, or you want to walk us through it. If you were alive and present during the 1980s, it's shot and plays out almost entirely like a vintage Budweiser ad. Like it's just two dudes drinking beer on the slopes. They have their sunglasses on. There's this loud techno blaring in the background. They're just crushing brews together, just having the grandest time. And in the midst of this, this woman just comes by and just like casually like leans in and tells Tomas that like, hey, 
just wanted to let you know that my friend over there thinks you're the hottest guy here. And they walk off and it's literally just like Matt's and Tomas, just like characters out of a beer ad, just like cheersing and just be like, yeah, still got it. But then it just all of a sudden takes this massive turn where this woman, the woman comes back again. She goes, oh, wait, by the way, my friend was pointing to someone else. She actually doesn't think you're that attractive. But then it's compounded because then the friend who, who this woman was speaking on her behalf comes out. And she goes, yeah, yeah, no, this is all my fault. I actually met the guy over there. So now all of a sudden the ego is completely shattered. Then Matt starts getting annoyed by the fact that they're pestering him. So he starts like shouting at them real far. So then another gentleman who's just enjoying himself at the bar kind of comes over and gets in Matt's face. And Matt's kind of like clumsily, like almost trips on himself. And he's literally <laughs> like doing like the equivalent of like the frat bros standing outside of some bar, like ripping open his tank top and like trying to be held back by his friends to give the appearance he really wants to brawl, but he has no intention of throwing a punch or doing anything of that nature. I mean, it's Matt's is like trying to talk shit with this guy, but again, he can barely stand He's in his ski boots. He's been crushing beers with Tomas. It totally just shifts from going from like vintage beer ad, like perception of the world, like, yeah, cool dudes, hot chicks, slopes, all that to just flat out like chaos, pathetic 40 year old men, like falling over themselves and just out drinking by themselves while their families are off doing God knows what. Oh, yeah, it, it tells an entire it's a short play in 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 one shot where the only camera movement is just tactile tactile like just like tactical zoom ins and zoom out it's it's beautifully orchestrated and <laughs> i'll have to i'll have to learn how to say hold me back in norwegian because <laughs> that's totally what matt's is doing here <laughs> hold me back bro hold me back um but yeah after that fiasco uh tomas heads back to the hotel room and he is locked out uh, apparently he didn't bring his card key or something idiot um and he's trying to call his wife on the phone and somebody put a chicken sticker on the door it's like ouch and that detail matt had pointed out is so is so cool with that first dinner scene with uh the american colloquialism of like did you brave the crowds like brave chicken <laughs> like so like again it's like it's subtle but it's like really cool that's there um but yeah he he doesn't get in and he just decides to go out wandering it's like i don't know maybe you should just hang out in the lobby like get a book or something but no he just goes wandering out in the snow and matt once again i'm gonna give you the floor because this this movie has that Scandinavian like kind of like laid back kind of vibe to it for the most part. Like like the editing is not choppy. It's very smooth. The shots, <laughs> everything about it is slick and smooth. It's not in a hurry to do anything. And then it decides to pull a a, a, a fast one on us here. <laughs> do you want to let the folks at home know what 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 Tomas is beset upon by? <laughs> it's literal avalanche of hyper masculinity gone awry like it's just like a clay 
enclave of I don't know if they're members of a fraternity or they're just a bunch of men in their 20s, but they're all basically in their underwear, crushing massive bruise, screaming at the top of their lungs, blaring techno music, blaring strobe lights. It's just sequence of these guys in this whipped into this frenzy, screaming at the top of their lungs, which is the perfect contrast from them being up on the mountain and Matt's giving the dude science of like, you just send you channel this inner thing and let it out that's like how we bond that's how we get through things and it's like so now you're seeing all these young men doing that just that and they're throwing up on each other they're spilling everywhere they're just like in a total frenzy and tomas like runs in terror from this like the same manner in which he escapes from the avalanche at the very beginning and abandons his family like he just tears off and goes running like he wants no part in it yeah no it it's it, as Matt had said, it's an avalanche of ultra masculinity that just like hurls itself at him. It's just a wall of dude that just slams into him and like forces him into this club, basically. And I think it's telling that he is still in his ski gear and he is not having a good time. Like he looks petrified and it's, you know, it fits with the character. It's just like, this is the thing that like, this is, I guess, the ideal that he maybe projects or would like to project for himself it's like you don't fit in but <laughs> like, like you're not part of that club no more if you ever were um but yeah what follows is just like three minutes of puke and noise <laughs> and it's fucking amazing <laughs> i'm not gonna lie like this doesn't look appealing to me at all but to see it in film form i was just like fucking yes <laughs> Um, and yeah. you're totally right too because the whole rest like the tone of this movie is pretty buttoned down for the most part but that just comes out <laughs> of nowhere and it lasts for literally three minutes straight there's like no cutting away you're just like enveloped by it and it totally is like all these like features you get like the sense you get from Tomas of being like you know he, he's you know had this moment in this bar where he's like checking out other women and like kind of like doing the seemingly single male routine, but now he's just been enveloped by this wave of it. Just being like you said, it's like, holy shit, this isn't me at all. I'm, where's my family? I just want to go like hide with them. <laughs> yeah. And he actually tries to go do that. So he manages to escape and he ends up just like camping out in front of the hotel room because uh, he still doesn't have the card. And then Ebba just like opens the door and is like, what, the, what, what are you doing out here? Like, he's like, I've been calling you all day. <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, I didn't get it. Come on in. <laughs> and I think it's, it's a subtle detail, but I, I did like that. Um, uh, his son comes out into the hallway and he's futzing with the tablet that they have. And he says, dad, there's no network, which does double duty in the form of explaining why his texts weren't getting through to his wife, but also that his son needs him. Like that's, he could have easily asked his mom about that, but he decided to ask his dad who has been away all day. So it's like, you know, there's, there's a need for, for Tomas in this particular family, even if maybe he doesn't feel it all the time. Um, but yeah, he gets into the hotel and we get this strange shot uh, the framing of it's interesting where it's it's the two of them like he's hugging his wife from behind, but it's displayed in the form of a reflection. So there's a separation between us, the viewer and the the intimacy of that scenario and also him like being interrupted once again by the sun. Like 
seems like every time they're they're getting close, they they have some sort of interruption, much like his confession always being interrupted. Um, and by the way, our uh, our nightly regimen uh, escalated. Um, the first the first time we had a change up, it was just husband and wife. Second time, husband's taking a leak with his back to his wife, and the third time, uh, wife is taking a leak and. <laughs> it's just like oh i see what's happening here and actually his reaction <laughs> he's just he just like pulls his toothbrush out of his mouth because he like we see her nightly routine it's pretty extensive in in previous iterations of this like she does her face she like she grooms and stuff she cleans her teeth and stuff here she pees she uh she like doesn't put the toilet all the toilet seats down and she washes her hands, thankfully, but she doesn't even she doesn't even brush her fucking teeth. She doesn't brush her her hair. And we just see Tomas alone in the bathroom and he pulls the toothbrush out. He's just like, fucking no, <laughs> this will not stand. This is not good. <laughs> it's 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 interesting because it's all these like subtle cues that something is amiss. It's like she's pulling away from you, sir. And maybe you should do something to address it. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's totally it. Like, I, I feel like that one sequence where you're not actually seeing them, you're seeing the reflection really kind of is does a good job to highlight that it, it's the first time that he looks to like really being try, trying to be physically intimate with her. And it's very awkward. And it's very like, it, it's a fascinating way to show that they're miles apart in that regard. And then followed up immediately with this bathroom sequence of her just kind of like, you know, like you said, like she's she's just kind of like uses the bathroom, puts on a grubby like, you know, sweater and just goes straight to bed. Like she has no interest in any like how he perceives her at all. Like she she does not care about him being attracted to her and vice versa because she's not attracted at all to him. So uh, it, it's really kind of like a moment where it's like, oh, damn, like this is really, really bad. <laughs> Yeah, and th- this is where some some interesting thematic content that I it's fascinating to see this kind of thing explored because I I don't know that this this it's not taboo or anything, but it's just one of those things that I don't think it it's expressed very very often in cinema where we have these signals that she actually like needs him to be a dude, like much like he needs her to be be his wife be his be his gal like like there's there's certain elements of that where it's like she has certain needs from him that actually do fit a lot of traditional like masculine archetypes and it's like one of those things that it's like i said it's present and and it's a normal thing for like your average film and whatnot but it's very it's very seldom that you actually see it be part of the core text of the film um but matt uh, we go back out on that balcony, and uh, you better believe our favorite maintenance worker is, is watching. <laughs> we don't see him yet, but you know he's there. You know he's lurking. Like he 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 got laser he got his laser sight affixed to this family when they first arrived. He's just like, oh, these guys <laughs> these guys are gonna be a show. I'm gonna just I'm just gonna make sure to hang around like in the evenings. Like I'm gonna hang around four one three all the time. Um, but Tomas finally has his moment. Where he's out on this balcony and he collapses in the corner in front of the door. And Matt, he basically just spills his guts. Like, like, well, what's fascinating is 
he does, but he has an initial one that doesn't take first. Yes. Like he tries to spill his guts and Ebo actually calls him out for, because he's, he's giving the appearance he's crying and she's like, you're not crying. And then he reveals that he's, he actually isn't because, you know, that's his, his inclination is to bury all these feelings, but then it goes the next step and he, he just explodes in emotion and just lets out all these pent up feelings that more or less he's saying that every one of his instincts is wrong and it's led him to be in this miserable state that he exists in. It's the miserable state that caused him to cheat. It's the one that's made it so he's distant from his children. It's made it so he's distant from her, that he emotionally is closed off and that he would rather go to work and spend time with his friends than focus on anything other, you know, and he's just selfish by default. It's because he's 100% allowed himself to focus purely on the instinctual nature to be selfish and only self-absorbed. And, you know, it, it comes out, in a much more touching manner than I'm describing, but it, it's very much him basically trying to explain like the, how toxic masculinity can be in like a spurt of emotion and tears and snot. And it, it's really ugly crying. And Oh, by the way, the French pit, uh, maintenance guy is watching this whole thing go down and smoking cigarettes and has no emotion. Like he's not laughing at him or mocking him. He's just watching. Subtly, just silently judging from afar. But Ebba's reaction to all this is is really priceless because like she's kind of disgusted. Because like everything he's saying is all the things that you normally you, you don't say. Like, like we all know it, like we all, we all feel it deep down inside, but like, these are, this is like him just airing it all out in just one go. And like Matt said, ugly crying. And I'm sorry. I found it absolutely hilarious because he is just howling and his wife is just like looking around, just like nobody's that fucking French guy better not be around. (laughs) She's just like utterly disgusted by him in this, in this moment of complete vulnerability that once again, it's like, some part of her, I think it's like everything you're saying is what I need to hear, but not this way. <laughs> like, like not not like this, not like this. Like you need to you need to pull it together. Like you can't you can't stay this way. This has to be a this has to be temporary. This has to be a moment. Otherwise, this isn't going to work. I feel like too you've you picked up on and have been calling it out throughout our synopsis here, but the fact that. In every other instance, he always is bailed out by some external thing or instance or happening. And in this case, it's him speaking purely from the heart and like not basically he's creating his own distraction. And like in that moment, she's just like so over. It's like, no, this is like not an excuse for your behavior. Like, yes, these things exist and they're they're tough but it's like you still did the actions like you still fucked up man like just because you're crying now doesn't mean that like it's all resolved and and yeah he's just in full on tears mode and the best part is they lock themselves out of the hotel so guess who has to let them back into the room (laughs) well tomas after this ugly crying bout for like five minutes straight is just like trying to like wipe his nose on his forearm or whatnot and our buddy the maintenance guy just saunters down fresh after finishing his break to let them into their room 
Yeah, he is he is definitely the MVP of the movie. He's just so beautifully integrated into so many of these scenes to punctuate the timing of things. But uh, it's not over. Uh, they head into the hotel room and Tomas is just inconsolable. Like he is just he, he has no words. All he can do is cry. And this, when he puts his T-shirt over his head, <laughs> when he, ta- he takes the bottom of his T-shirt and he flips it over his head. I, was, I, I started cracking up so hard because it's like that's like it's like he's a little kid it, like i've seen i've i've done that like that's that's things that children do um and ebba is just like pacing around she's just like i i i know i know you you need support to like to hold back the tears to stem the tide of tears I just can't give it to you, buddy. You just, you're, you're kind of a scumbag and you said all the words, but like Matt had said, it's like what you do after that's, that's when progress can be made this moment. This is not cool, man, (laughs) but she's just pacing around and the kids come out. And this is what I was hinting about. Like the kids speak the truth. The kids know the truth because they come out and they see their, their dad, just like his face buried in a pillow laying on the floor and they just drape themselves over him and hug him like they don't they don't see anything other than their father in pain and they they do that i was going to say right before that sequence too it, it's actually a very touching moment where um it shows the two of them um and they're both in tears because they've been sitting up against the wall because they listen in when the parents argue and all they've been hearing is their father crying nonstop and it's really devastating because not only does it explain away all those moments when we were talking shit about them acting up earlier in the movie, but it also kind of makes it clear that this has been occurring for a while at home too. Like this isn't something that was spurred on again by the the avalanche. This is something that probably happens every night and they've just gotten the routine down now because they know it's like, Oh, they're going outside. They're going to argue. We better listen in. And it keeps they're anxious over this. It's they're really upset. And that's where, you know, unfortunately the outbursts come from. Yeah, no, it, it's a powerful, powerful beat in a in a very heavily layered film. Um, but I like that Ebba is just like not having it and takes her daughter screaming at him and act, screaming at her and actually like forcibly like pulling her down to the floor to get her to join in the the dog pile um but eventually she acquiesces and she does it um and then we cut to our final day on this on the slopes and the whole family is together once again with their ski gear and they are on a, a misty mountaintop where it's like there's like zero visibility it's like i don't know man that looks dangerous um but they go down together and there's a lot of like slipping back into roles like expected gender roles i guess here where tomas is like ebba expresses concern over the over the visibility and tomas is like i'll take care of that (laughs) i'll go out front and i'll scout ahead to make sure it's safe for my family because (laughs) because i'm that guy sometimes (laughs) um and she's she's like responsive to that and so we we go down the mountain together in formation as we saw at the beginning of the movie with dad out in front mom in the back kids sandwiched in between um and then there's this this beat though where 
uh, Tomas and the kids are stopped and they're calling out for Eba because she's not with them. And again, there's very little visibility. And we get this moment. And I'm curious of what your interpretation of this was, because as far as I understand, there are probably many ways to look at this. But um, Tomas runs into the mist. He takes off his skis and he calls out to his wife and he hears her say, help. Uh, so he runs off into the mist. He ditches his fucking kids, by the way. <laughs> we see that like it takes a minute because he's running around in his ski boots. Like you don't move terribly fast. So the kids actually like sit down and they're just like, what the fuck are we doing out here? <laughs> and he runs off into the mist and he comes back triumphantly carrying his bride back to the family unit. <laughs> and then well, the big yeah. thing, though, is that he puts her down and he's like, are you OK? And she's like, yeah, I'm OK. And so she actually like gets up under her own power and goes back to retrieve her skis. <laughs> I love that last part. No, but I was going to say this was that sequence I was saying at the very beginning that actually was kind of terrifying. Yeah, because this is the one moment where it's like, actually, you realize like it's a mountain, like it's dangerous, like it's the elements and particularly the part when he abandons his kids where, you know, maybe it's like for that, it's like, you know, stay still, stay silent, like, you know, and call out, I guess, would be how you would handle that scenario. We didn't have that. We had go wait in the car. But, you know, it's still a a terrifying moment to be in if you're a child of not really knowing what's about to occur and really not being able to tell what's going on because it's, it's, you know, icy out or it's a whiteout. And yeah, the sequence where the father goes off and saves the day, but then she immediately runs off to get her skis. Like it, it very much seemed like it was a ploy to uh, help him rebuild his image in the children's eye to give the impression that like, we're going to work on things and this is him trying to do better. Maybe she tested him by pretending to get lost. And that was part of it too, that she wanted to see if he actually had it in him to actually go racing after her, or if he would just continue on and assume she would catch up. Um, that That's kind of my inclination on that, but um, it, it's a really awkward sequence because yeah, the, my favorite part is when she just like, it's, you think that like, Oh, she must've hurt her leg or she must've fallen and lost her skis. It's like, no, she, she had it all in the back. She knows exactly where they are. She just runs off by herself to go retrieve them. No problem. So yeah. Yeah, no, it, that's basically what I got out of it too. I think the the two interpretations that that I most I put the most stock in are yeah, she was probably testing him, just like to see if he's fit to take care of business, basically, and also to give him that ego boost, like to rebuild his image in front of the kids. But also on some level, I do think what we've seen from her, um, especially with her interactions uh, with with the French lady. Like, I want to say on some level, maybe she needed that from him too, not just for the kids, but just like, I, I need to know that I need to know that he doesn't totally suck. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it comes, bears mind, like one of my favorite, it, it's, this is the era we're in, but like, there's a meme actually that I think perfectly encapsulates masculinity. Um in that it, it's a cross section on one side it's like showing a bunch of like soldiers and like the caption saying like all right boys we gotta take the hill there's no coming back and we're probably not gonna see you tomorrow but we gotta get this done no matter what and then on the other side it's just a guy being like hugged by a girl and he's just like they're there it's okay you don't have to worry about anything you don't have to be strong it's like 
Yeah, it's a lot of that, of like kind of bouncing between the two of like, yeah, we're going to go run off a cliff and die for whatever. And on the other side, it's like, but I have all the, my own feelings that bother me and keep me up at night. It's awful. So, well, I, I mean, su- such as like, such as being a person, <laughs> like, like regardless of gender or gender role, like such, such as existence is like, there's the broader spectrum and then there's where you fit into it. And good luck grappling with that for the rest of your life, because <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I did, I did appreciate the inclusion of the the hyper masculine dudes in this movie, because <laughs> it's such a blatant signal of just like, yep, that's 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 one image of what that what the expectations are for that. But then, then you know, there's a lot of people that don't quite fit into that. So here's the part where it gets interesting, though, from interpretation to me is the last sequence is yeah. them finally departing. And they're in this um, basically a giant bus transit line and they're going down the mountain. It's this really gnarly like switchback like path. And the guy driving is a total moron. Like he every time he comes to a turn, he has to reverse and he's hurt, jerking the wheel all over and. It clearly it's making everybody on this bus incredibly anxious and i feel like it's amazing too because it goes back again the the man versus nature element of you know kind of the reason we picked the whole movie in the first place of just again even though you have this beautiful sanctuary built on the top of a mountain in order to get there you have to traverse this gnarly road that really just is not an easy thing to navigate and this poor schmuck like can't seem to figure out how to get down it without giving everyone the impression he's going to drive off a cliff. Um, and then you want to take it from there. Cause I'm curious to see what you think of the sequence that plays out here. Yeah. This, this was one of the more difficult sequences to interpret, like, cause there's a lot going on here. And I, I actually looked up other people's interpretations of this. Like for the most part, this has all come from me, but this is like the one scene that I was curious to hear what others had to say about it. Um, so pulling from that, basically, yeah, we're, we're on this treacherous mountain road. And by the way, the inspiration for this sequence apparently came from a YouTube video. Uh, t- in fact, I'm going to look up the title because it made me laugh. It was something, uh, Idiot Spanish Bus Driver Almost Kills Students <laughs> is the name of the video that inspired this sequence. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've, I've ridden some really sketchy buses in some foreign countries and felt like I've experienced not on this level, not nearly this terrifying, but definitely general idiocy in these kind of roles. So it did not surprise me at all. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I know people who have lived in certain parts of the world. It's like, if you are a passenger on the bus, it is your duty to shout at the driver. Like, like, like it's expected. <laughs> like that's you pay, you pay that ticket price, not just to get to where you're going, but also to shout at a human being and make sure they don't kill all of you because they most assuredly will if you don't do your job. Um, the, by the way, the, the scariest, uh, I haven't seen this idiot Spanish bus driver almost kill students video, uh, but I have seen a Chinese video of a, of a tour bus driver driving down one of these winding switchback paths it was terrifying because he he was doing some initial D shit. Like he 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 was running in the 90s. He, he he was gas, gas, gas. He had been to the top. He felt the blazing beat. <laughs> and the the worst part though is there's this little there's this little baba. There's like like a little gam gam sitting up front that's just howling. 
and just like, oh my God, stop. He's just like, I mean, he did it. Like, he made it down. He did it. But holy shit, that was terrifying. But the sequence. Um, so Ebba takes issue with his drive. She's like, buddy, like, no, no, like, you're not doing this. And she gets so manic to the point that she walks up front. And by the way, I love that as he's trying to like reverse, we see him accidentally hit the windshield. wipers. <laughs> it was like that. If, if, if ever there is a sign of incompetence, that is it <laughs> hitting the wrong button <laughs> on the fucking console. But she says, open the doors. I'm getting out. Now, something that I, I had read was that some people latched onto the fact that she got off the bus on her own and was now a hypocrite, essentially, uh, basically mirroring Tomas's actions with the avalanche. A little different, being as it's a stationary bus and it's a very safe exit from the vehicle. Like, like I don't I don't think of those things as being the same, but that is something that I did see people latch on to is that, she, oh, she ran off the bus without everybody. Like, she didn't have her kids with her. She... She said, open the doors, I'm getting out. And she does. And there's a whole beat before other people follow her. So that's one interpretation is that it, this is her mirroring Tomas's actions and showing that, you know, in extreme circumstances, you're just going to react the way you're going to react. Like you, you don't have any bearing on it. Um, and then another interpretation was that uh, what follows is uh, Mats and Tomas both showing signs of growth. Um, in that the people further back in the bus like start like look like they're about to riot basically they just like they're hurrying to get out and it looks like they're going to cause a problem and then the two of them stand up and say stop think about it like like we can exit the bus in orderly fashion and they do so and they do so like they calm the situation and they both look good for doing so um and then eventually everyone gets off the bus together um and the film ends with this lonely group of travelers. I don't know how I'm curious, like what may, I got the sense, maybe it'd be easier to just like walk back up. Like, like, I don't know how far down they were. Like this guy clearly could not have gotten that far, <laughs> Like, but they decide to walk down the entire mountain on foot and they look miserable. They look cold and miserable, which fits with the theme of this month. And like Fanny in particular is just like, put the fuck out <laughs> and at one point like Mats is asked to carry uh tomas's daughter and the the film ends with uh tomas being offered a cigarette which he initially declines from by a stranger and then he's like you know what never mind give me that and his kid his son is holding his hand and he's like dad do you smoke and he's like yep and it's it's just a demonstration that's like we peeled back a lot of tomas's layers but there's still there's still layers to be peeled. Uh, but he, he I will say his his posture is I mean, it helps that he's smoking like it's it's science. Like you just look cool when you smoke. But his, his posture and his expression here suggests that he's he's feeling pretty good about things looking looking ahead. Like he feels like he's in a better place than where he started. Yeah, he's finally being honest. Yeah. With components of himself and. I think that that's a brilliant one because it's one of those things, even though you haven't seen him smoke at all in the entire movie, it's like, Oh, he's been a smoker this whole time. He's just managed to hide it from his children this whole time. So maybe even his wife, I mean, he's kind of a sketchy dude. I think the, the scene with um, Matt's um, 
you know, not only are him and Fanny like totally distant when they're walking down the mountain, pretty much signifying that they pretty much have split up, but also that part, you know, it, it, a, it harkens back to the story he tells of the Estonia and how people just like were whipped into this frenzy and it causes all this disaster of people like trying to escape off a boat, I believe. But in this case, I think it's, it's a really neat sequence because it's a common like everyday form of like heroism that like because like he when he's doing his bro talk like that's the big one he, he brings up he's like look like we've been inundated with all these images as men that you know this is how you're supposed to behave but it's like how often are we going to actually experience the situation where you can truly be a hero it's and how much of it is the totality of how you behave majority of the time and that's kind of similar with Tomas where it's like even though he's done some really fucked up shit off camera, like what you actually see seems like a decent enough fellow, at least with his kids and with how he, you know, the impression he gives people like he doesn't, he's not a total scumbag, at least, you know, other than the stuff he's done to his wife, again, like outside of what we see in the movie. So it is kind of though, it's like, did he fail just this one major time or is it culmination of all the times he's failed or, over and over and over that caused this horrific area that they're in or then with Mats, it's kind of like well yeah he may have never got the experience where somebody barges in and tries to attack them in their hotel room and he has to fight them off but he clearly does the right thing when pressed with you know difficult situations um it's just not sexy um and i do think that the sequence too with eva running off the bus like i think it's I agree with you. Like, I don't think it's nearly comparable, but I think it is kind of like a brief moment where it's like, again, where it's like, rather than Tomas like latching onto that and being kind of like, see, we're even now. <laughs> like, it's more of a, like, you know, she's a human too. Like she's allowed to have moments. She doesn't have to be the perfect mom in every instance. And, you know, she clearly believes that they're in good hands with him and that she can do that. You know, it's not, because it's not on that same level of like, we're going to be crushed and die immediately. So. Yeah, no, very well said. Like, I, I think you, I think you really exposed like all the wide variety of themes that are presented there with that closing sequence. Cause it's, it's a, it's like the one sequence where I felt myself like, like, like I said, kind of needing a little bit of assistance, kind of getting a handle on. Um, but I, I think between the two of us, we really, really figured it out uh, so thanks for that um but yeah uh, that that's the end of a force majeure uh directed by ruben ostlund uh at a, as i had said a previous episode the square uh so this guy has two big ones on on my list that I, i'm very happy with so uh, looking forward it looks like he has a film called a uh, triangle of sadness which based on the uh the cast here Woody Harrelson is featured in. So it looks like maybe he's slowly marching towards a more international uh, audience. Um, I mean, he had uh, all of his films, as far as I understand, are fairly well regarded internationally, but uh, The Square in particular was a big one. And this one having uh, an American actor, a pretty high, high profile one um, in, in the leading cast, uh, seems like better things are on the horizon for him so i'm looking forward to more of his work so uh thanks for matt uh thanks matt for uh suggesting uh this film because this was this was great i, I thoroughly enjoyed this one 
Um, but before we go, uh, as I had said at the very top, uh, Matt uh, has a couple of podcasts of his own. Uh, so Matt, would you care to let the folks at home know uh, where they can find those and what they're called? Yeah, well, <laughs> what I do with my free time is far less contains far less depth than your show, Trevor, as you know. So I have a video game podcast called Couch Co-op, wherein two of my friends and I discuss video games, pretty much what we've been playing and or things we're excited coming up. Um, it's really just an excuse for a bunch of guys in their late 30s to complain about how we don't understand the direction of the gaming industry. And then I have another show called The Hollywood Brunettes. It's a wrestling show. Uh, mainly focuses on AEW professional wrestling, occasionally WWE, but it's myself and a dear friend, the Danimal, who just go back and forth and share our thoughts and feelings and crazy conspiracy theories about the wonderful world of professional wrestling. Uh, it's it's a fantabulous world of wrestling. I I I love wrestling. I love that wrestling's always there. It it like I think the the parallels between wrestling and comic books have become so heightened in more recent years. Because like the 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 curation of the product is done in a very similar fashion, where it's like writers and authors come and go, artists come and go, wrestlers and bookers come and go. But at the end of the day, we got to put on a show every week, like clockwork, and 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 the canon builds upon itself. It readily discards elements of itself whenever it's convenient, and we keep showing up. And even when you go away, it keeps going. So whenever you decide inevitably to come back to it uh you get to you get to dive right in and and experience it all over again so um i'm always happy to listen to both of those shows but in particular i love hearing you guys' take on the wrestling stuff because like i think it's a, a sign of quality when i can enjoy the conversation even though i have I hate to say it i i've yet to even watch an episode of aew and yet i'm still enthralled with the discussions about it uh, thank you. That's very kind. And uh, like I said, it's a fascinating era, much like cinema uh, that your world of podcasting exists in where um, we're in an interesting era because of the streaming services and the different distribution models that have kind of allowed for unique things such as this movie we just reviewed to kind of be much more accessible. Um, then you have professional wrestling has kind of entered into this unique realm where now you're seeing like one outfit that's kind of the first time where you're ever seeing a company that's really focused on the actual athletes themselves as opposed to just the bottom line and you're also seeing the main king one having reached a level of establishment now where they probably will never go broke which was kind of unheard of for something that essentially is the modern day circus so it's fascinating seeing how they're adapting to all of a sudden having so much success very much like comic books where it was like you know only a few years ago, they all seemed like they were going bankrupt and would be failing forever. And now, you know, that's the highest thing going in terms of entertainment. So just a fascinating time for all forms of entertainment, certainly. Oh, absolutely. A lot of, a lot of transitions happening right before our eyes. But what also a funny thing about both comics and, and wrestling, that last thing I'll say on this, is that part of me wants to say it's like, it's not meant to be successful. Like it's, it's gotta, it's, it's gotta have that grit. It's like, it has to have that scrappiness to it in order for the product to, to really shine and really sing. Cause like, like a lot of, a lot of comic authors in particular, like it's very similar to film actually. 
like when when they shack up with one of the big two or big three publishers like the marvels the dcs the image comics one of those it's usually similar to the progression of like a filmmaker's career where it's just like well i had my indie success i guess i better go write hawkeye <laughs> and it's just like why why it's just like because that's what you do like that's what you do when you've had the regional championship for a long time you go make a play for the world one it's just what you do it's how your career progresses but i i don't know i i i do appreciate the carnival roots of wrestling like i'm i'm glad that we're getting a lot of like retrospectives about material like that because it's like the those stories uh, i i know we're far removed from them they we we don't need to generate any more of those stories, but I'm glad there are people out there that are shedding light on the on the epics of the past. <laughs> yeah, well said. And yeah, to keep it from spinning off into a completely other conversation, I'll just have to have you on my show and we can rant and rave about comics and wrestling and all sorts of dumb shit like that. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm always down. So just hit me up. I'm I live very close to you. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, anyway, uh, this is our discussion of Force Majeure, uh, directed by Ruben Oslund uh, from 2014. Um, but uh, before we go, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content folks at home, you can find all of those episodes collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. You can also find us on the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the show is available on pretty much every podcast and platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. And uh, that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening. And we will catch you next time. <laughs>